Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast, a podcast designed for you with insights from fellow members as well as NFP and Partners Financial experts. Hi, welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast. I'm Kristen Williams, and in honor of National Heart Awareness Month, I am joined by Jane Dwyer, our VP of Underwriting and NFP, Cindy Davis, who's also VP of Underwriting and NFP. They are our dynamic duo of underwriting. And we have a special guest today, which is Dr. Lee, who is the Medical Director of NFP. So ladies, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and talking about this really important and relevant topic. Thank you. Thank you. Glad Jane, to be here. I'm thrilled. Jane, do you want to take a moment to introduce Dr. Lee and then talk tell us why she's the perfect person to talk about National Heart Health Month? Yeah, certainly I will. Well, I, I've known Charlotte Lee for, um, I think, decades. She's been in the insurance industry and I think she's um, she works as a medical director, not only for us, for many insurance companies and reinsurers. So she can give us the full 360 view of how someone might be viewing a case and underwriting, which is very helpful. Um, and she's also uniquely uh, qualified to talk about cardiac health because she has done a fellowship in cardiology, actually at the University of Minnesota. So it's been a focus for her in her clinical medicine, as well as insurance medicine. And she also is one who lives uh, what she speaks. She's very fit and follows a healthy diet and is a runner and all those things. So complete package for us. That's wonderful. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Lee. Thanks for having me. And thanks for everyone who's listening to this podcast. Hopefully it'll be beneficial to everyone. Absolutely. Dr. Lee, um, can you, you know, you're really interested in cardiac and heart health, but particularly how heart disease impacts women. Can you talk to us about some of the different risk factors for women and, and how the symptoms that women experience are different from what we may be sort of expecting? Certainly. It's long been thought that men were the primary focus for any type of cardiac disease. And it's been thought that being male is even a risk factor for cardiac disease. But along the way, we found out that women are just as vulnerable for cardiac disease. And this includes not only coronary artery disease, but valvular heart disease, where some of the things are wrong with the structure of the heart. And women have congestive heart failure. So it's it's known now that women should not be sort of swept under the carpet as far as risk factors are concerned. And actually, the risk factors are generally the same in men and women. It's just that in women, they seem to have been overlooked or underplayed as far as trying to correct the risk factors just because the emphasis hasn't been on the fact that women are very vulnerable for cardiac disease also. So those risk factors are in general what we know for everybody is uh, obesity, hypertension, elevated lipids, uh, diabetes. So the risk factors in general are the same for males and females. We just need to play it up for females and, and get the general impression out there that it's just as important for females. Jane, Dr. Lee was talking about the fact that, you know, it wasn't quite as known that women had heart disease or hearts too, and, you know, could have problems with their hearts. <laughs> I'm guessing that that's because 
there's not as much research in the heart disease in women. Is that? You're absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. In the past, there has, I think one um, uh, number I saw was 23% of the studies done on heart disease in the past have been done on men. And so when, you know, patients and providers are, you know, don't know about these risks or they're not top of mind for the patient or the doctor, they're obviously going to be overlooked or or not have a focus in on that and give them meaningful treatment to prevent heart disease. Um, Again, because most recommendations for treatment are based on male male patients. So uh, we're going to see a not an equal there. And also women are socially women that are socially isolated uh, because of race or income level or even educational attainment attainment are um, not equally um, seen in studies. Are we seeing a shift in that, Jane, to uh, we, women? Uh, I think we are. We're seeing the, um, you know, certainly the Go Red campaign, the American Heart Association has done a really good job at that. We're seeing individuals who have um, actually suffered heart attacks or issues. Uh, prominent women speak up. One I think comes to mind is Susan Lucci from, uh, I forget, she was on a soap opera, but she had a couple vessels um, that were Stented, and uh, you know, if you look at her, her mother's was a hundred years old. She didn't think she would be that person that would have a heart attack, but uh, her father actually had early heart disease, so put her at risk. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Lee, when we were talking about this earlier, you were also telling me that in addition to there being fewer studies done on women and less of an understanding that there are more complications when women have to have a cardiac intervention and that they also get fewer interventions. Is that true? Yes. And before that, I need to, and I should have said this earlier, that uh, when it comes to women's health and women's mortality, We usually think of breast cancer as the thing that kills so many women. But the fact is that heart disease kills far more women than breast cancer does. So that's a basic premise that everyone needs to be aware of, that it's heart disease and not breast cancer, even though breast cancer is very, very significant. But it's still not as outrageously um, a cause of death as, as cardiac. So as far as the interventions are concerned, women have fewer interventions. And it's just that I think many reasons, some of the physicians have said that even when they present the option of getting interventions for a woman, as opposed to say medical treatment, many women feel that they can't, they have responsibilities at home. They they have children, they have a husband, they have a house to take care of. So they don't want interventions that will keep them down, so to speak, for quite a while because they have things to do. But on the other hand, interventions aren't presented to women as an option as often as men. And it may be because maybe some of the physicians feel that they're not going to accept that anyhow. But generally speaking, women just have not been prime uh, targets or prime subjects, should I say, for interventions. When they do have interventions, especially cardiac surgery, they're at a much higher risk of having complications from surgery. There's a much higher mortality rate on the table when women have uh, heart disease. 
many of the surgeons think that one reason they have a higher mortality rate is they have to have a much longer procedure because they have smaller vessels to deal with. And the physicians find it more difficult to even deal with those very small vessels. And that may be another reason they're not given as many options. But they have a much longer anesthesia time, which also adds to a mortality risk. So they have more complications during surgery and after surgery. Women who have heart attacks have a much higher risk of having a second, a repeat heart attack within so many months. So women are just much more vulnerable, even when they are offered the, the interventions as options. Well, this is alarming. I, I, I didn't realize I always would have said breast cancer is the number one killer of women, not heart disease. And, and I, I didn't know that you know, the, the interventions when they're offered are harder on women. So um, I think what we need to do now, Cindy, is talk about what can we do? What are the preventions that we can engage in so that we don't end up a statistic? Yes, thank you. I um, I know that during February, um, many centers offer um, the EBCT. It's a CT scan of the heart. It's very um um, non-invasive can be done very quickly at a discounted rate or, um, at, you know, for less than a hundred dollars, you can have this test. And um, I learned from Dr. Lee um, previously that magnesium is a great supplement and maybe Dr. Lee can talk about why and, um, you know, something you can add to your routine. But I would also say, too, that women have to be their own advocate when they go in and they have high cholesterol or have risk factors that they, you know, talk to their doctor about getting on aspirin, statins, blood pressure medicines and not waiting. And one thing, too, I wanted to say that we might want to talk about how symptoms are different, too. I was going to say that as well. Yeah. <laughs> OK, let's talk about symptoms and what to look for. Women have many times have atypical symptoms, whereas men have, you know, the typical elephant sitting on the chest type syndrome that we read about. That's kind of the textbook description of how angina or, or coronary artery pain sounds. But women can have different, different ones. They can have jaw pain. They can have shoulder pain. They can have elbow pain. They can have tooth pain. They feel they have a toothache. So there are many other types of symptoms that women have that are not the classic symptoms that we would expect when someone has, especially has a heart attack. When many women go to the doctor with those symptoms, the first thing that the physician thinks about is not that they might be having a coronary event. So they're tested for, you know, given a chest x-ray for lung disease or, or maybe it's chest wall pain as opposed to coming from the heart. So women's symptoms can be very different from men and men, uh, women's symptoms can be overlooked just because of that too. Mm -hmm. And the, we hear a lot, maybe it's just in the male context, but a lot of discussion about cholesterol, good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. Cindy mentioned magnesium as, as an alternative. Should we be focusing on that cholesterol discussion quite as much? We should because especially the what we call the good cholesterol, the HDL, and then we have the bad cholesterol, which is the LDL, but the big focus is on the HDL. Women tend to have a higher HDL anyhow, because HDL gets higher, goes higher 
according to the hormone level of women too. Premenopausal women have more H, have higher HDL levels because they have more circulating estrogen and progesterone. But once they become menopausal, that HDL level starts to decrease. There are some things that keep it up, like exercise, running, uh, vigorous exercise increases the HDL. But once a woman reaches a level where she's uh, menopausal, then her risk is just about equal with men because she doesn't have that protective element of the hormonal protection, which which uh, boosts that HDL, which is the protective type of HDL. Mm-hmm. So women are sort of protected in the younger ages, but once they reach menopause, that protection is is gone. Okay. So magnesium heart scans run a lot. That's what I hear. Yes. Also a handful of nuts and coffee, right? Red wine. <laughs> Sorry, this has gone sideways on. No me. smoking, get your weight down, all of yeah. these things. And we've all heard about all this, but uh, you know, it takes a lot of doing to actually adhere to that. Mm-hmm. Well, that you bring up a good point uh, about running, Kristen, because stress is a great big factor in heart disease and maybe even a little more so in women. So mm-hmm. anything you can do um, to reduce your stress. And I often see in the APS is, um, you know, yoga, people doing different things for stress management. So that's a real plus. So that, Jane, lovely segue. Thank you. You bring me to the last thing I wanted to talk about in our in our last few minutes, which is life insurance. It's what we do, right? It was why we're here. How do we take what we know, what we've learned, what Dr. Lee shared with us and use it to help our clients? sell more life insurance, get a better result, prepare a case. Yeah, well, it, uh, Dr. Lee alluded to it that most of the cardiac events that we see are preventable. So when you're looking at the medical records or when you're talking to your clients, really focus in on that lifestyle. If an individual is very active, engaged in cardiovascular uh, exercise or just keeping moving, right? Uh, if they're build is within the normal range, they're non-smoker, the blood pressure control, um, you know, and even if they're taking aspirin and statins, that's a plus, especially if they do have um, higher cholesterol. And if, like Cindy said, the cardiac testing that they've had, if you see a cardiac stress test, you know, really point that out. And again, overall, give the picture of the client being healthy when they are healthy, of course, and uh total picture, not just what's in the medical records. So Cindy, then it sounds like even if you're maybe not as ideally healthy as you would want to be, if you can use your cover letter to point out all of the steps a person's taking to sort of address their issues, is that helpful as well? Oh, absolutely. A cover letter. There's so many carriers that give lifestyle credits and a cover letter is the best place to point out all those fabulous things that somebody's doing to be proactive about their health. Okay. Well, it's lovely to talk to you guys. And thank you for sharing all this information about heart disease. I want to remind everybody out there that's listening, Jane and Cindy are here to help you. They can help you write that cover letter that's going to get you to the good result. And the wonderful thing is that we have access to Dr. Lee as our medical director and all of her knowledge and expertise. So thank you, all three of you, for your time today. This was really interesting. And I'm going to go for a run now. (laughs) good job okay bye-bye bye-bye thank you thank you thank you
Thanks. Thanks, Kristen.